Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Church podcast. For more information about Highest Praise Church, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Lancaster. I believe that tonight the Lord wanted me to share on prayer, on specifically prayer, and, um, and the need for prayer. And um, I, I believe that... that um, that we are not conditioned for prayer in the church today because we, because we don't know how to pray. I was teach, uh, The other night, I, I pray with my kids every night before we go to bed, obviously, and, and so we're praying, and, and I begin to speak to them and ask them, each one of them, to pray, and then I went through and was explaining to them how to pray. Because how many know as a father, it would, it would, I would do my children injustice by asking them to do something that I haven't taught them to do. And, uh, and so many times as a, in, the, in the body of Christ, we tend to not pray or to pray ineffectively. How many know it's, it's possible to pray ineffectively, right? It's possible to, 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 to not to be praying for something that God has no desire or is not involved in in that moment or in that time. And I want to explain what I mean by that. And I, here's what I do know. I, I believe that when we begin to pray, prayer brings a fear of the Lord back into your life. If there's any time where you, and, and fear of the Lord can be explained this way as well. It could be explained of, of having a desire to be so close to God that the thought of being separated from him scares you. It's wanting to be so close to God that, and, and the fear of the Lord is, is not just reverencing him, but reverencing him to the point that I want to be close to him and never be apart from him. It's almost like if, and some of us call ourselves believers or Christians, but we, ne- but we never actually in, enter into the intimate conversation in which prayer is, the, the intimate dialogue between you and between God. It's almost like being married, but speaking to your spouse through a third party. It's like, hey, could, uh, you know, Billy, could you go tell Chelsea? And then, and then speaking to her that way. And then she in return comes from me. And so many of us as Christians and believers l- try to live a life of, Christ- of and a rela- have a relationship with Jesus through somebody else's prayer life or other preachers. Just like, it, it's just like, listen, listening to someone else talk about Jesus is not the same as you getting to know Jesus. It's not the same. So, so understanding that, hey, my prayer life and who I am in prayer and how important prayer is for me as a believer must be at the forefront of our, of our knowledge and our understanding as believers. It, um, and so, so having a, understanding what the role of prayer is in the life of a believer and why it's so important. Even, it brings a fear and a reverence to God. If you remember Rahab, when she was hiding the spies, she even said, she says, hey, uh, uh, they fear you and, and what your God can do. Because it was, these were men. These were righteous men, and, and they knew that because of who they were and because of their communion with God, Rahab says, you have disrupted the entire town, entire city, so much that not, we know that you fear the Lord, and therefore we fear the Lord. Because they knew that God was moving. The Bible says that the, that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and, and, they, and Rahab knew that, and so did the whole city know that. And that's James 5, 16. 
And Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11 it get, it, it, we come to a pinnacle to where the disciples are with Jesus. And, and they're at a place where in, in life where they can ask Jesus whatever they would like to ask him. They can bring anything to his, to his, to his, his attention at this moment, but there's something that they ask him. Luke chapter 11, they have a chance to ask him anything, and they ask him for, to, they say, you know, we've seen you with the Father. We've seen you pray. We've seen you communicate. But will you tell us how to pray? Will you teach us how to to pray. These were the most intimate people with Jesus. They were his inner circle. They were with him daily. And if Jesus's own personal prayer life wasn't enough for them, we can't expect that someone else's prayer life in our life is enough for us. So we must establish this in our life. See, everybody loves a move of God until the move of God moves something inside of them. And having a prayer life moves things on the inside of you that sometimes we don't want to move, so we avoid it. Is, is this making sense to y'all? And so we have sometimes avoid prayer because of the movement that it takes place in our own hearts, in our spirits, in our lives, and the direction that gives, and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. And, and one thing that we need to understand that, it's going to, that, that a prayer life is going to seem and feel uncomfortable because prayer does not come naturally to us. Especially since the fall. It's not something that comes. How many know that complaining sometimes comes naturally to us, right? Like I just came out of the womb just knowing what's wrong with every, my everyday life, right? But, but sometimes prayer is not something that is automatically activated when we wake up in the morning. Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, thank you, God, for just, I'm going to pray for an hour and a half. Like it's, it just doesn't come. Now we can get to that place and, and catch that in our life. But it doesn't come natural. So some of us were taught to pray at a young age. Like I told you, we, we, teach our, we try to teach our children how to pray. And over in HP Kids, we try to teach our children how to pray. And SCA, we teach children how to pray. And, 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 and we, try, we, we teach how to pray. And, and it's important that we understood some things when it comes to God are caught and some, some things are taught. Like you can teach worship all day long, but, but until you really, really get, get engaged with somebody else who has extravagance worship, a lot of times that spirit on them jumps on you and you will catch the spirit of worship like you've never experienced it before. But the disciples knew that they had to be taught how to pray. And, and some of us were taught how to pray as a, and at a young age, and it's created this preconceived idea. Some of us pray only at dinner times and only at night before we go to bed, and we know we have rehearsed what we want to pray, and there's nothing wrong with that except when there's something wrong with that, when that's the only time that we actually go before the Lord and we don't have a rehearsed, a, a repeated prayer that means nothing from our hearts, but, it, but we need to actually learn, we learn how to pray to, to know God and know his desires and what he has for us. And so a lifestyle of prayer is not natural. It must be something we teach ourselves to do. It's something that we must engage in regularly. Matthew 6 and 6 says this. It says this. It says, but when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Now, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat with this scripture is that he says, not if you pray, but when you pray. See, Jesus, do, Jesus doesn't assume that you're not going to pray. Lord help us, right? He automatically assumes that you are going to pray. 
Because as a believer, we are called to a life of prayer. And so Jesus tells him, says, when you pray, when you go to that place, I want you to close the door. I want you to get to a secret place. See, anyone who follows Jesus will be a person of prayer. A couple weeks, two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to, to, to talk. We talked about, uh, talked about conviction. And one of the things that, that con- about conviction is, is that you don't have to worry about giving up the world when it comes to conviction. Because when you're, I told you that conviction is an invitation to draw closer to Lord. Like tonight, I'm convicted by my own prayer life when I preach on prayer because it's never enough. And I hope that you're convicted. And, and conviction is, is, not, is not a heavy hand across you to pun it to, as a punishment. It's actually a wake-up call and a desire and, a, and, a, and an invitation to go deeper with God, to go towards him, not being pushed away, but be drawn towards God. And so Jesus was one who, who, who he himself went to the Father. It was custom that he went to the Father and he prayed. And if anyone who follows Jesus, who is a follower of Jesus, we don't just need to believe like Jesus believed, but how many know that we need to do what Jesus did? We don't just say, hey, we believe it, we believe it, we believe it. Okay, now let's do it. Let's be doers. Let's activate that. And, And the difference is a lot of us when it comes to prayer, most of the time we pray when we are in crisis. Can I get amen? It's okay. See, we pray from in between crisis. Like, oh, if something happened in my life, I'm going to pray. If something happened in my life, I'm going to pray. If something happened in my life. How many know that Jesus did the opposite? He prayed. And when something happened, that prayer prepared him for that moment. And then he prayed. And when something popped up, he's been in prayer and prepared him for that moment. And then he prayed. And many of us only pray in a crisis situation. And so it was, it was custom for Jesus to go to the Father. And this is what I love about, about that prayer lifestyle that Jesus had that's the opposite of ours most of the time. It says that Jesus didn't go to the Father to get something. He didn't go there just to get something. Yeah, he went there to, to pray. And what he went there to find out, he didn't go there to get blessings he went there to find out what heaven was doing in that moment in that day. Like what if we woke up and we prayed and when we went to the Lord, we didn't go to God asking him to fix our problems and situations. What if we woke up and said, God, what do you have on the agenda for the day today? What are you going to do in the world today? What are you going to do through me today, God? And see, the difference is Jesus prayed to align himself with the Father. And therefore, the blessings came. We pray to God to align himself with us and bless us. See, we got it backwards. And so we are, when we go to prayer and we, and we pray, say, God, God, I want to align myself. Where, what are you blessing today, Father? What are you doing today? And when we align ourselves in prayer with him, there is when, that is when the blessings flow. That is when the blessings come. Not when we stand back and say, God, I'm here, so come here and bless me. It's God, where are you today? What is your heart? What is your desires? What have you called me to as a believer today, as a man of God, as a woman of God? What is today? What purpose do I have today? And there'll be times in my life where I've asked God to bless what I was doing instead of finding out what he wanted me to do. 
Can I get amen on that one, right? And so we have to get to a place where prayer is where we hear from God, where we find out what he has for us in store. And so I want to continue reading verse 6. It says, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Could it be that if we have no reward in our life, it's because we have no secret place in our life? And so many times do we look for the reward and the promises of God, but we don't have any secret place in our life to, as an as a avenue for that reward to come. And a lot of times we, we have to understand that we have to believe that he is who he says he is because when you believe who he is, that will dictate how and when you come to him. So knowing who God is, what he can do, and what he has for you will change everything about how you approach him in prayer, about how you approach him in prayer about your marriage, about your children, about your finances. When you go to the Lord in prayer, that is an invitation to get, for God to get involved in what you're doing. And I want to tell you that when he says here, he says that when you're your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees you in secret, he said he will reward you openly. We don't go to God in prayer just as a transactional experience, but how many know the Bible says here that when we go to the Lord, we can't leave him without something coming to us. Praise God. So when I go into prayer, I don't go into prayer only travailing or only des desperation or only, I go to prayer knowing that I'm going to the father. I'm going to daddy. And when I leave him, I'm leaving better than when I came to him. And when I get up, I know that I, there, there has been an exchange. There has been a blessing. There's wisdom. There's peace. There's reward. There's blessings. There's joy like never before. Because when I go to God in prayer, the Bible says that when I go to him in the secret place, when I leave, he rewards you. He rewards us. Prayer is rewarding if nothing else, when you get up for prayer, you should know your purpose and the plan that God has for you in that day, for that moment, of what you're supposed to do with your life. In every exchange, that's what prayer does. If your life has ever come under attack, whether it's physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, the most powerful, potent weapon is your prayer life. That's it. Read it again. If your life has ever come under attack, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, the most potent weapon is your prayer life. It isn't a good book. It isn't a good song. It isn't isolation. It isn't a podcast. It isn't a cup of coffee. It's hard to believe, I know, but it's not a cup of coffee. It's your prayer life. That is, the, that, is, that is the greatest weapon that you have against the enemy is going to God. And that is when things begin to change in your life. I want to tell somebody, you don't have to accept the way your life is right now. Prayer is an invitation inviting God into your life to change your circumstances, to change the way things are. 
whether it's, whether it's turmoil in your mind, whether it's anxiety or depression, you can go to the Lord in prayer and believe that God's going to do something and know that he's going to do something. See, the enemy wants you to believe that the battles that you are facing right now, some of you had them on, in the car on the way to get here tonight. You had battles, and the enemy wants you to think that your battles are physical. That you're battling your spouse, you're battling your kids, you're battling your boss, you're battling your finances. But how many know the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood? And so if he can get you distracted by thinking that you are battling a person or a people and get your mind off of the plan that enemy has for your life, then he's won. See, he wants to dilute your passion for prayer. So in other words, he wants you to think because you're battling a person, therefore prayer isn't necessary because they can't be fixed. You ever met a person you just think they can't be fixed, right? Like, I'm battling them. I can pray as much as I want to, but they're not going to get fixed. So the enemy says, hey, prayer is not necessary. Prayer is not going to change this because you're battling a person. But the word of God tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And therefore, prayer is our most powerful, potent weapon. So the enemy wants to keep you from the greatest weapon that, that God has given you, and that is your prayer life. All right. So he will try to dull you from the things of God, try to distract you from your prayer life. He'll try to take your passions. I want you to hear this. He'll try to take your passion for God away. He'll try to take the passion that you once had to serve, the passion you once had to give your life for him whatever he needed it to be, the passion you once had to pray, the passion you once had to worship. He'll change the music you listen to, the people you talk to, and the places you go because he wants to dull your sensitivity to your, and the effects of your prayer life on your life. That's the plan of the enemy. And so he wants to, to take your edge. He wants to take your passions. And he wants to throw water on your fire instead of gasoline. He wants to extinguish what God has plan for your life. So Hebrews 11.6, Hebrews 11.6 says this, says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. When you go to God in prayer, you got to believe that he is. He is what? He told Aaron and Moses, he said, when you go to Pharaoh, tell him that I am. I am whatever you need, he is. Amen. If you need healing in your body, he is. If you need a friend, he is. If you need, whatever it is, if you need joy, he is your joy. If you need peace, he is peace. Whatever you need, whoever comes to the Father, you have, you must believe that he is the answer. That he is the one. He is the way. He is the truth. You got to believe that he is. That's number one. You got to believe he is. Because what you believe of him will determine how you come to him. You got to believe that he is. Hebrews eleven six. 6. He goes on to say this. And that he is a what? Rewarder of those 
who diligently seek him. You cannot spend your life honoring and in honor and worship and prayer and leave God and leave that, that place of your life and not receive a reward from God. But there's a word here that gets me in Hebrews 11, 6. It says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. So there's many definitions of diligency, but I, I wrote down this. It says, to be diligent is doing small things over and over again until it brings me to my desired end. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'll do something one time and expect results, right? January 1, where are most of us? Eating right and dieting, right? But by February 1st, we're, that's long gone, right? Didn't see results like I wanted to. Took too much time from me. It cost too much. But being diligent means I'm going to keep doing this thing over and over and over and over, and when I think it should be here and it's not, I'm going to do it anyway. And when the enemy tries to put my fire out, I'm going to do it anyway. And when the enemy tries to steal my passions and my desires, I'm going to do it anyway. And when the enemy tries to steal my edge, and, and, and t I'm going to do it anyway, being diligent. So the Bible says, Hebrews 11:6, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your place of victory will always be your place of prayer. Your place of, so the victory that you're looking for in your life will always be the place of prayer. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes God's desire is not to fix everything that's wrong in your life. Sometimes his desire is to be the peace and the joy that gets you through what's happening in your life. And when you don't go to prayer, you lack what it, what it is that's going to get you through that place in your life. The enemy knows that prayer is the most powerful weapon, and he's going to do everything in his power to take your edge, to dilute your passions, to steer your desires anywhere but prayer and your relationship with Jesus. The enemy wants you to have a mindset that prayer will not work in this situation. Fill in the blank. Some of you have been there said, it doesn't matter if I prayed. I prayed for five minutes about this last week. It didn't change anything. So I'm not going to pray today. The enemy wants you to think that this situation will not change with prayer. See, I've met people and I know people, I know believers who don't pray because they think things are just going to work out for my good either way. So why pray? How many know that's not the case? The Bible said he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All things work together for good, those, to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Those who desire, who pursue him, who live for him, who pray and who have a prayer life, that's what changes things in our life. Passion is what gives you the cutting edge in your life. That's why the enemy wants to take your passions and stray you away from prayer. Because that, the passion, that passion for God is what differentiates between those who, who are fully committed to what God has for their life and those who, who die out, who burn out, and those who give up on the things of God in their life. 
It's the passion desires. When you lose your passions, you become content with the way your life is right now. And we could close right there and go home and all sulk in that, right? When you lose your passions, you become content with the way your life is right now. So the enemy wants to steal your passions to turn you away from God and become content with just being a church member or just coming to service twice a week and not really having a prayer life that actually changes your life, changes your marriage, changes your kid's life. And so if he can keep you from that, you become content where you are right now. You don't have a desire to do anything more for God. You don't have a desire to know him more. Worship is not a priority of your life anymore. Church is not a priority. Gathering together is not a priority. And that's when things begin to change. That's when your, two weeks ago, your convictions start to change. And your desires start to change. And your passions that were once diverted fully towards God are now turned towards something completely different. And you begin, instead of communing and praying with God, you begin to commune and pray, or excuse me, commune with and feed your own lusts of the flesh. Therefore, your prayer life is not existent, and you're battling your own desires and your own passions. See, God created each and every one of us with a passion. Where we place those passions is up to us. So the same, the same passions and desires that you've had, whether it's addictions in your life, whether it's, it, whether it's lust in your life, whatever it has been in your past, those passions are not negative as they were placed there by God. It's what makes it bad is where you've placed your passions. If we would learn to take those passions and desires and move them towards God, towards our prayer life, towards our convictions, towards worship, we would, be see, we would see a change in our nation like we've never seen before. We see changes in our families like we've never seen before. If we had a passion for God like we're supposed to. There's a story in 2 Kings that I love. We're talking about passion and, and keeping our edge. And 2 Kings chapter 6 is the story of, of the school of the prophets. And it reads, it's only seven, seven scriptures, but it reads that there was the school of the prophets was there with Elijah and the school of the prophets was growing and they wanted to expand their territory. They wanted to expand the school in the region. So they went out, the school of the prophets went out into the woods and they began to expand the territory and they began to, to cut down trees, expand their border. And the Bible says that while they were expanding that one of the members of the school of prophets was swinging an axe, cutting down a tree. And that when he swung, at some point in his swinging, the axe head flew off and flew into the water. And, and when I read this, I've read this many times, but I've never really noticed this, or really, this never really struck me. But that axe head, the edge, that what, made, what made him able to do what he was called to do or make his job effective, he lost it. He lost his edge. He lost the difference maker. How many know that your passions and desires is the difference maker? And 
as he was swinging that axe, when he lost the edge, he lost it in the midst of doing something that was good. How many know that it's possible to lose your passion while doing something good? So many, some of you are sitting here today and you're in this service, but you've lost your passion. I've been going to church, but I've lost my passion. I'm trying to read my Bible, but I've lost my passion. I've lost my edge. I've tried to, I, I'm serving, I'm doing this, and I've lost my desire. It's not what it used to be. I've lost my edge, and he's lost his edge doing something good. And it is possible to lose your edge doing something good. Uh, Galatians 6 says this, says, God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. If you sow in prayer, you will reap in prayer. If you sow in faith, you will reap in faith. If you, uh, whatever you sow, you will also reap. And then it goes on to say this, so don't grow weary in well-doing. So you can be doing something good and grow weary, but don't let it happen. You can be in prayer for a situation or for someone and grow weary in praying. But God says, don't stop. Remain diligent. You could come to church and not feel a thing and the message bounce right off the back wall over your head and you not receive a thing. Hard to do in this place, but it could happen. And you leave from here and you say, I'm just, I'm just it didn't do nothing for me, so I'm going to give it. No, that's not it. Be diligent. Be diligent. And he lost his edge doing something. Ecclesiastes says is that if the axe is not sharp, it becomes, the work becomes more difficult. It's think of it like this. When the axe isn't sharp and we're not doing what we're supposed to do and we're not equipped like we're supposed to be equipped and we haven't been in prayer like we're supposed to be in prayer and we're not diligent, many times that when the axe is dull, what once was easy now becomes hard. You could be serving in a capacity or in a ministry, and what was once easy, it now becomes a burden. You could be, you could be at a place where you, a song or a worship music or a playlist used to get you right into the presence of God, but you turn that thing on and you might as well be listening to nothing. You've lost something in your life. You've lost an edge. And, and so... When I was reading this, I thought, Lord, how is it possible that in doing something good, we can grow weary? In doing something good. Because how many, many times, even though you're doing something good, even though you're doing something good, you can grow tired. But diligence in your prayer life is the most powerful, potent weapon that you have. So that even when you're weary and you're tired, you must still pray. In every season, in every situation, and on all the ups and all the downs, on the mountaintops and in the valleys. When things are easy, I'm going to pray. And when things are tough, I'm not giving up, I'm going to pray. It's the diligency towards a prayer life, towards the things of God, that we must carry as believers in our life. So the student goes to the prophet and he tells him, he says, hey, I've lost my edge. And goes to him and says, I've lost my axe head. What I'm doing, what was once easy, now becomes hard. So he, I, 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 
when we bought our, me and Chelsea bought our first home, there was a dead tree in the front yard. We had no kids. I was a husband now, and my wife wanted that tree cut down. So guess what I was going to do? Cut the tree down. You know how many trees I've cut down in my life? Zero before that day. But it looked easy, right? Cut the tree down. So I went and got me an axe. Not a chainsaw. Couldn't afford one. Went and got me an axe. And I began to cut down the tree. And that first swing, these big chunks came off. I was like, this is easy. And I don't know what number it was. Probably like number two. I got tired, right? And I began to cut down the tree and cut down the tree, and the tree wouldn't want to move. And then I realized this ain't happening, and it was getting dark, and she was poking outside. Hey, how's it going? I'm like, great. I'm dying. Like, like, it is not going well at all. So I go get a rope and attach the tree to my truck, <laughs> my tailgate. Start to pull it. I pull it. It breaks into a thousand pieces. I got a mess now. But there's a piece of trunk. This is not really part of my message, but this is not good. So then I grab the, so I'm, I'm trying to get the trunk out of the yard so it looks like it's gone, right? So I grab the trunk, and it's, it's mostly dead, and I'm dragging it, I'm dragging it, it's like a seven foot. So I go, and I clean everything up, rake everything up, go inside. I walk in like nothing's wrong, go take a shower, and I'm hurting all over my body, everywhere. Wake up the next morning, my arms, my chest, my face is covered in poison ivy. Yes, sir. Great day. So I drug the trunk of the tree that apparently at one time, there was no vines on it, had poison ivy. I was in a mess. The whole point of me saying that is that the, at first, it was really easy. At first, it seemed I didn't, I, that I wouldn't have to be diligent. It seemed like there was no cost to what I was getting ready to do. But how many know there was a cost? It cost me something. Some, it, it took diligence, it took me, took perseverance like I've never experienced before. It was something that required something of me. If I'm going to do something different, then I must give something different. If I want to see something happen in my life, I've got to do something about it. And my prayer life has got to be that thing that no matter what, I'm going to be diligent at it. No matter if I get the, res the, the response that I want, no matter if I get the results that I want in that moment, I've got to remain diligent in my prayer life. So Elijah asked him to take him where he lost the axe head. So the Bible says that he took him to the axe head and he, he pointed into the water where he believed that it fell in. And Elijah does something really different here. He says, I want you to go get me a stick. So the Bible says he goes to a tree and he cuts a branch off the stick and he brings it to the prophet. And Elijah takes the stick and he throws the tree into the water. And the Bible says that the, the iron axe head began to float in the water. Begin to float in the water. And so that was a miracle in and all of itself. And so, but when I begin to read this, see, and I really try to figure out why did he want a stick? Why did he just cause the axe head to float? Why did he desire a stick? And why did he ask him where? I mean, if you can make an axe head float, you can figure out where it's at, right? And I was reading this, man, I begin to think, where have I lost my edge? Where have we lost our edge? What, what situation in our life caused us to throw in the towel on our prayer life? 
What did we think was too hard for God? That was worth our passions. That was worth our desires. That was worth, where, where did we lose that edge? What situation was the final straw? See, and the prophet says, we're going to go back to that place. We're going to address this place. And we're going to believe that God is able in this situation to reverse it. Oh. So he goes and he says, where did you lose it? He said, right here. It's right here. Go get a tree. Cut the branch off, threw it in the water. So I begin to look and try to figure out why, why in the world a tree branch. And these are the related scriptures that I found in the Old Testament. It says in the Old Testament, when the, when the water was bitter, they came to Moses, and Moses had them cut down a tree and throw it in the water. And the water that was once bitter became sweet. Happened with Moses. Here, when the edge was lost, Elijah had him cut off a portion of the tree, throw it in the water, and a miracle happened. What was once lost, what, the edge that was gone, began to float. What happened was reversed. And I begin to correlate that between that what we have lost because of Jesus, that can also be reversed. See, because 1,500 years later, on a hill right outside of Jerusalem, a tree was raised up. And on the tree was Jesus. And in that moment, and on that hill, and in that time, God says, I'm going to throw this tree right here on this hill, and we're going to raise this tree up, and on this tree is going to be the salvation of man. It's going to, he's going to reverse the curse. He's going to reverse the sin. He's going to reverse the hold of the enemy on their life. And so when I do that, everything that once had them, what stole all their passions, what stole their health, what stole their joy, has got to be reversed and returned to them because the tree has now been lifted up, and on that tree is the Son of God. All the way back, 1,500 years earlier, Elijah said there's going to be a man raised on a tree, and the tree is going to reverse it. So you know what? This impossible situation, this impossible uh, head of an axe that, that should never be recovered, what is lost here, what should never be found, go get a tree, throw it in the water, and when that happens, a miracle is going to take place. I want you to know today that whatever is happening in your life, Jesus is the answer. And he wants to reward you tonight with freedom from every single situation, every single stolen passion, every single desire. God wants to reverse that tonight and return to you what is yours. And I hope tonight that this is a fire shut up on the inside of you to renew a passion and desire to get intimate with God, to have convictions like he has convictions, and to not, not, listen, not just believe like he believes, but to do like he does, to pray like he prays. That's why he told the disciples, he says, I want you to do what I'm getting ready to do. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. The miracle was in the answer that, of Jesus. Your miracle was paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross. 
His name is Jesus. And that everything the enemy has tried to convince you of, that you're not good enough, that God doesn't listen to your prayers, that he doesn't care about your situation, is all a tactic of the enemy to divert you from the most powerful, potent weapon you have, and that is prayer. And if you've been praying and you've grown weary in well-doing, you've grown weary in your prayer, you've grown weary in your serving, you've grown weary in your, in your life as a believer, I, wanna, I want you to know today, I want to I speak of your life, do not grow weary in well-doing. But believe that God is able. My favorite scripture, that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more. See, I'm sure... I'm sure if Elijah just pulled out an axe and gave him a new one, that would have been all right. But he said, I'm going to do it exceedingly more. I didn't bring a backup. I'm going to use that one. That's a word from somebody. God's not, just, God's not going to replace something and leave it gone. He's going to restore what, you, what he told you belonged to you. One of, the, one of the prophets actually said when it was lost, he said, oh, no, that was borrowed. How many know that your life belongs to Jesus? And if it belongs to him, it cannot and will not be led by the enemy. The enemy cannot steal from you what he didn't give you. And today, a renewed passion and desire for God is going to be the difference in every area of your life. Amen? Everybody stand with me. I want to say this, hell, hell knows how to push your buttons. Can I get an amen on that, right? So the, somebody says, so does my wife. I'm just kidding, they didn't say that. Hell knows how to push your buttons. They know, hell, the enemy knows what extinguishes your passions, what steals your joy. He knows what brings anxiety and worry into your life. But he also knows that prayer changes everything. Last year this time, Pastor had us make bracelets that we put outside of buckets. And, and I think there's still a few out there, but it says, push, pray until something happens. What does that mean? Diligently. Diligently. Doing the small things over and over again until I come to my desired end. How many people can, with a raise of hands believes that God is able to do whatever you need and be whatever you need in your life? That's the first step. When he asked him, where did it go? And when he, well, when he went to the prophet and said, I've lost it, you can't find something that you're not willing to admit that you've lost. So tonight, have a mindset tonight that, you know what, I've lost my edge. I'm not like I used to be. He could have sat there and kept hitting that tree and not said a word and would have gotten nowhere. But he said, you know what? i got to change something. I can't keep doing this. This is going to take me out. I'm not going to take it out. It's going to take me out. And tonight, the first step to making sure that it doesn't take you out tonight is admitting that, Jesus, I need help. The best prayers in the world are prayers that like this. It sounds just like this. You ready? Help. We're good at that one. God, I need help. I've lost it. I can't do this but I know you can. Let's pray. Father, just for a moment, I want you to lift up your voices in prayer just for a moment. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, that every situation, God, God, everything that has a name must bow to you in the name of Jesus.
God, we come to you in prayer, God, believing, God, in the power of prayer. Believing, God, God, that our diligency in prayer, God, is going to shake and move mountains, Father. God, we believe today, God, that, God, even though we may have lost our edge and that what was once hard, God, God, we declare in Jesus' name, God, that it shall be returned to us in the name of Jesus. God, I pray tonight, God, that you continue to open up the eyes of our understanding, God, to the, to the need of prayer, God. I pray, that God, that you raise up, God, in highest praise, church, God, diligent prayer warriors in the name of Jesus. God, may we not settle. May we not lose our passions. May we not surrender our dreams, God, but may we be steadfast, diligent in what you have called us to do. And it's in Jesus' mighty holy name we pray. And everyone said... We hope you enjoyed this message from our midweek experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate through our website, highestpraisechurch.com. And if you would like to stay up to date with all that God is doing here, be sure to follow us on Instagram at highest.praisechurch and like us on Facebook at Highest Praise Church. We can't wait to see you soon.